0: Welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and this is episode six of our Wilderness Years coverage, in which we are talking about Hulk 248, Thor 314, and 317. And we have two different guests this episode. It is a David on John sandwich, because for our first and last issues, you are going to be able to listen to John Wilson. Hey, John. I did not bring the mayonnaise. Well, David's the meat of the sandwich, so he's going to bring the mayonnaise. I'll tell um, him no, court. Yes. So, yes, we got John here for the beginning and then he's going to go wait in the green room while David Spafford will be here for Thor 314 in the middle, and then John's going to come back out at the end of the show as long as we have time, you know, with our commercial breaks,
1: to cover whole to cover Thor 317. I'm here for it. Well, I'm here for this. So, yes, I'm literally here for it. Yes, you are.
0: You have no choice because your Uber is not coming to pick you up for an hour at least. So you might as well. You
1: better be wearing a mask.
0: So, yeah. So at this point now, we have covered a bunch of the stuff that relates to Adam and Thanos. We are about roughly halfway through this whole Wilderness Years run. We already covered... um, the first appearance of Paragon, aka her, and then we saw her come back in the Marvel Two one issues, and we also covered the last record last of ep- uh, what I say? And we also covered the last recorded uh, issues of Captain Marvel, as well as the no, that's next. Crap, I'm gonna edit the hell out of this intro. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, we good. Also... Yeah. and we also, and we also talked over you. <laughs> that's okay, I've edit stuff anyway. And we also covered the last uh, story arc of the Captain Marvel series. So we had a lot of stuff going on here. But right now we are touching back in with the Hulk, who, even if it didn't have to do with Warlock, Hulk has a lot to do with it. Because, I mean, the Hulk
1: is where the whole initially Warlock series ended. Right. He's kind of, um, I mean, he's sort of a second home for for the Warlock mythos.
0: Yeah, because a lot of big stuff happened there. And it's kind of funny because, well, we'll get into it when we get into it. So hold on. Let's have a quick synopsis for Hulk, and then we'll talk about it. Hulk number 248. How Green My Garden Grows. Writer, Bill Mantlo. Artist, Sal Busema. Colors, Ben Sean. Letters, Jim Novick. Cover art, Michael Golden and Gaspar Saladino. Editor, Al Milgram. Cover dated June 1980 on sale date March 18, 1980, with a cover price of $0.40. Cents. You can find this reprinted in Le Incroyable Hulk number 106-7, a 1980 Canadian reprint, in French Hulk No. 5, a 1982 Norwegian reprint Hulk No. 12, a 1985 French reprint Hulk Heart of the Atom Hardcover, from 2008 Hulk Heart of the Atom trade Paperback, from 2012 Essential Hulk Volume 7, from 2014 the Ultimate Graphic Novels Collection, Classic No. 22, Hulk: Heart of the Atom, 2015 UK reprint. Die Official Marvel Comic Sammelung Number 22, Hulk Im Herzen des Atomes, a 2016 German reprint. And there's also a Russian reprint, but I can't pronounce that because it's in Cyrillic. I believe that's what it's called. And it doesn't even list the year. Probably somewhere around 2016. The Hulk has returned to Jorilla's world of Ka'ai to bury her body. Having found the world decimated since he last visited it, he was taken to the Valley of Life to bury his love. There he was attacked by the Gardener, who refuses to let any humanoid set foot in his small paradise. Bound in vines, the Hulk demands that the Gardener let him free so he can bury Jarella. The Gardener refuses, and as the Hulk continues to struggle, the Elder of the Universes realizes that he cannot explain himself to the Hulk in this state of mind. Using a soul gem, the Gardener awakens the mind of Bruce Banner. He explains how he, like the other Elders of the universe, have one single obsession to govern their eons-on lifetimes, with his being gardening. He tells how he obtained a soul gem and used it recently to create a lush garden on Earth's moon. When the Stranger came to his paradise, the Gardener got assistance in dispelling the Invader with the aid of Spider-Man and Adam Warlock. Warlock and the Gardener combined the power of their soul gems in order to repel the Stranger. However, thinking that he had tainted his gem's ability to sustain life on the moon, The gardener left, leaving the gem behind. This gem ended up in the possession of the mad titan known as Thanos, who was collecting all the soul gems to power a massive synthetic gem which he plotted to use to snuff out all the stars in in the universe. Thanos was stopped thanks to the combined efforts of the Avengers, Spider-Man, The Thing, and Adam Warlock. However, Warlock perished while turning Thanos into stone. The heroes then buried Warlock's body on an asteroid and left a soul gem there on his grave. The gardener later came and collected the soul gem and took it with him to Kai, where he created the Valley of Life. Remembering how his last paradise was tainted, the gardener vowed to never allow people to tread in his garden again. With the tale finished, Banner asks the gardener to at least allow him to give the woman he loves a decent burial. The gardener refuses and carries Jor'ella's body away, assuring Banner that she will be buried. Having yet another thing taken away from him causes Banner to burst into tears. His sorrow is so great, his body reverts back to human form allowing him to get free of the vines he is caught in. However, Banner refuses to give in and vows to find Jarella and bury him himself, even without the power of the Hulk. Back on Earth, Betty Ross bids farewell to Captain Marvel and his lover, Lysias as they fly off. Before she can depart in her private plane with Rick Jones and Fred Sloan, a soldier comes to tell her that her ex-husband, Glenn Talbot, wishes to speak with her. Betty refuses to grant an audience and soon flies off without another word. A heartbroken Glenn Talbot watches as Betty's plane takes off and flies away from Gamma Base. Meanwhile, in the Colorado Rockies, Doc Samson and General Ross continue their hunting trip. When Ross spots a strange creature in the woods, he opens fire assuming that it is the Hulk. Samson assures Ross that it wasn't the Hulk after he heard reports that the Gamma Spawn monster had been banished from Earth. Back on Kai, jor followers wait outside of the Valley of Life, fearing that their would-be king had been killed there. Suddenly, a stampede of animals comes rushing out of the forest and begins attacking them. While inside the lush region, Banner stops by a stream to get a drink of water, when he is suddenly attacked by the very river. As he is being pulled into the liquid, Banner's pulse races enough to trigger another transformation into the Hulk. The Hulk fights his way free and then leaps across the valley in order to interrupt the gardener and his animal followers. The gardener orders the animals to attack the Hulk, but they are no match for him. Seeing signs of battle, The people of Kai are reinvigorated and start fighting back against their attackers. Meanwhile, with no more animals to set upon the Hulk, the Gardener tries to fight the Brute one-on-one. The two struggle and the Gardener begins to wonder how powerful the Hulk really is. As they fight, the Soul Gem levitates off the Gardener's brow and the Hulk knocks the Gardener aside and plucks it out of the air. Hulk comes to the conclusion that if the Soul Gem could create the Valley of Life, it could also restore Jorella's entire world. With that, the Hulk throws the soul gem into the ground and it burrows its way directly into the planet's core. As the planet begins springing to life, the animals quit fighting. The people of Ka'ai soon join the Hulk as he buries Jarella in the Valley of Life. When her grave marker is constructed, they are all surprised by a flower that suddenly pops out of the rocks. This is the work of the gardener, who has realized how selfish she was being, and asks the Hulk if he can stay. The Hulk tells the gardener as long as he remains peaceful, he may remain on Ka'ai. With his lover finally buried, the Hulk tells the gardener to send him home. With a wave of his wand, the gardener causes the Hulk to resume his normal size, leaving the people of Ka'ai leaderless, but with a bright future ahead of them. All right. So in this issue, the Hulk fights the gardener, which we last saw, and from what we see in the flashback, it looks like that's the last time he appeared, in Marvel Team-Up number 55, which you were here for. I was. So in that one, the, he was drawing a garden on the moon and then helped Warlock and Spidey fight off the stranger and decided that that corrupted his soul stone that he had
1: and That's he left right. it. right. So and that was we, your first introduction to the gardener and that was the first introduction to the concept that there might be more than one of these stones out there. Um, but I have some questions about that as we go through this because this term soul gems is... They haven't called them Infinity Stones yet. No, so that the, won't happen until the Thanos quest. Right. Now, I could be just misremembering things. It happens. I'm old. Um, Warlock has the soul gem and the Gardener had another soul gem. And they talk about that in this issue. But then after Warlock dies and, all the, and Thanos has all of the soul gems and makes the big soul gem... The gardener says he goes back. If I was remembering this, if I was reading the story correctly, he goes and gets Warlock's soul gem, referring to it as his own. So, does the gardener have the capital S capital G soul gem after this story? Does Thano has to get? Does Thanos have to get it from him for Infinity Gauntlet? Um, well, I forget which one he gets from the gardener at that point.
0: And there's some other stuff that happens with the gems before that. So. It's possible that they get s- switched up, but from what we were able to tell from Marvel Team Up, he most likely had the Time Gem, and from what they're saying here though, he definitely is taking the gem that was Warlock's, because he talks about. We have a you know little bit of a recap, so we recap Marvel Team Up 55, and then we recap the Avengers Annual and the Marvel Two-in-One Annual, and it says they left Warlock's Soul Gem on his grave. So, that was actually the gem that was taken from Warlock's head. Okay. So, he now has... So, while Marvel Team-Up, he had what we can assume was the time gem. He now has definitely the the soul gem.
1: So, why didn't he take his own gem back?
0: Well, maybe he didn't know where they put the
1: others. They all look alike. I just grabbed one. It's like when you switch the briefcases in the spy movie.
0: Yeah. I mean... They, he doesn't say whether or not what, how he knows what he knows about this story anyway. But, I mean, he doesn't say, they don't say what happened to the other gems. They just – he just says that Warlock's gem was left on his grave. Okay. I mean, we have to assume it's the soul gem. Why would they leave another gem on his grave? Right. You know, so it no, makes I, sense. I, I'm I, okay stuff.
1: with that being the soul gem. I just don't know why the gardener didn't go and get his own gem. Yeah. Taking somebody else's gem, people are proprietary about these things.
0: Well, when they're dead, they're not really that proprietary. Point. I mean, other people could be proprietary about their stuff, yes. But, I mean, really, who else did Warlock have that would have been proprietary proprietary about his stuff? Uh, Kimura? Pip? You know, True. They're kind of with him. Uh, the only other people that could be considered would be his uh, teenage gang. And as we saw in Marvel 2 and 1, well, they're not really doing much of anything right now. Mm-mm. I mean, we didn't see them, but we can assume that they were on that planet. Somewhere. Yeah. So, and I wonder if we ever see them again. I don't think so. I'm going to bet no. No. Guess, well, I kind of forgot about them. (laughs) Oh, well, I moved. I don't care about those friends anymore. He did change planets. Yeah. No, that's a that's that's kind of is an indication that somebody wants to get away from you. When they change
1: planets. It's
0: like, okay, right. maybe they don't want to talk to me anymore.
1: I am looking up some of their appearance lists. And yeah, like David Carter, his last appearance is uh Incredible Hulk, so is Jason Gray, um Alan Roberts, yeah, all these characters never appeared again after Incredible Hulk one seventy eight. I'll have
0: to do some research. Yeah, I'll have to do some look later to see if there's anything that comes up counter, that counter-Earth again to see if we need to cover that at some point. Just to see what... Ha- you know, even if we don't see them again, at least, know we if we know what happened to counter-Earth, we at least kind of have an idea what happened to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But that's for another episode. So the main point of this one is that we find out what happened to
1: Warlock Soul Gem. The Gardener took it. He did, Thief. And he goes into the Microverse... Or at least a part of the microverse where Jarella's planet exists. Yes, because the whole point of this issue is that the Hulk is traveling there
0: to bury Jarella Because she has passed away. Mm-hmm.
1: Which I've not read. I've only read stories involving Jarella because of some other purpose. I've never read, like, the hulk Jarella storyline. I didn't even know she died.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was not like, a little while before this. I want to say, like, early 200s. Because... We briefly talked about that in the friends and enemies segment a while ago. Why is um I want to say still
1: carrying her body around how is she not stinky? Well, it did say he had to get her body from Gamma base.
0: So I'm wondering if they took her body and he spent a little while trying to find it. Hmm. Cuz I mean, he's a Hulk. It's not like he's great at asking for directions.
1: She shows up again in incredible Hercules 619 and 620. That's weird. Why does that happen? I don't know. That's okay. That's, that's a conversation for another podcast.
0: Yeah. But as of now, she's dead. So, yeah, I mean, that's really the warlock connection here is that the Gardener, we have one of the elders of the universe who first appeared in a warlock story, and we now know what happened to Warlock Sojam. He took it. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, to this issue, anything else? I mean, what else do you think about the issue? Anything else that pops out to you?
1: Um, not a whole lot. I mean, there was a lot of action, a lot of, uh, anger between, um, Hulk and the Gardener. There's a lot of punchy, punchy fight, fight, not a lot of actual story that I cared about. I ended up kind of skipping over the pages with the subplot characters because I realized they weren't going to matter at all.
0: Yeah. The only thing I want to say is continuing on from when we talked about, uh, Captain Marvel previously in the f- previous episodes is that we have Captain Marvel showing up with Elise again, who he met in the last issues of his series, and ends up basically becoming his wife until well, until the next episode.
1: Mhm. But yeah, I didn't have a whole lot else on this. Yeah, there's not really much else.
0: Um, except for well, one or two things. One, I do like the fact about Jarella. It's like, it's one of the few times the Hulk and Banner agreed on something. They both were in love with her. Yes. So it kind of made his life a little simple. you know. She knew he was a Hulk, and she loved both of them. So it's not like there was a conflict there. But there was one or two weird things. It's like, wait, so he brings the planet back from being a desolate desert, and he's their king, and he's always complaining about Earth, and what does he do at the end? Hulk wants to go home. It's like, really?
1: That's the way he is, though. He wants to get away from Earth and go into space, and then he's like, yeah, I'm done with this. I want to go back home again. We did that on Makar's Marvel because they send uh, Silver Surfer. Um, Hulk's like, I want to go into space. I want to go into space. And so Silver Surfer shows up and's like, hey, I want to go to space. Um, and he actually ends up going into space with one of the high evolutionary's new men. Uh, Sir Ram, I think was his name. And they go to the high evolutionary's planet where all of his new men are rebelling. And with all that said, and done, is like, I really just want to go home again. I thought I wanted to get away, but this is definitely not the life I wanted to live.
0: Well, as you're talking, I was kind of thinking about this. you. Kind of made me think about it, and I'm like, well, you know what? I guess I could see the Hulk wanting to leave. It's one thing if Jarella was here, but
1: true, this would so probably he, just
0: remind him of her constantly.
1: Kind of like the um, the Planet Hulk storyline. Once his wife was killed, he's like, yeah. I don't only don't want to be here anymore I want to go take revenge on the people who put me through all of this jazz.
0: Yeah. And the other thing is I always love the it's one thing I love about the dumb green hulk is one of the things he always says when he's fighting somebody and they don't understand why how he could do something. Hulk is hulk. I just love his explanation. How do you do this? Hulk is hulk. That's how. Right.
1: That's how. I misspoke earlier. Drella comes back in Incredible Hulks, not Hercules, Incredible Hulks 619. She's uh, resurrected with several other dead heroes and then dies again in 620.
0: Oh, so, is that maybe? I wonder if that's part of that. Um,
1: Chaos War?
0: Yeah, because yeah, yeah, they, they, they had like a couple mini miniseries about like some dead characters coming back. Mm-hmm. So um, I wonder if that's
1: part of that. There's a character named Marlo who has death powers. Oh,
0: that's right. Marlo Jones. Yes, Rick Jones, wife to Rick Jones, and also ex-girlfriend, or maybe ex-wife to Rick Jones at this point. And also ex-girlfriend to Moon Moondragon. Oh, fun. At least, I think, I forget if they actually were dating or just were, were very flirtatious. Mm-hmm. Dating off-panel. Yeah, I, I think it was, at least for me, it was one of the first times Moondragon's sexuality was addressed. Mm -hmm. of her being either gay or bisexual
1: moon dragon is a whole subheading in marlo's wiki page sorry fandom page because that's what they're called it's fandom.com not wikia
0: yeah that happened during the uh peter david britain captain marvel series about the son of marvel marvell okay the one who comes out those series that comes out of uh what's it called avengers forever
1: it but, says at yeah. one point she developed an attraction for Moondragon, surprised both of them. At They were unsure what to do. Before they could explore it, Marlo was whisked away to her by her husband. And when the truth came out, Rick stood aside to let Marlo and Heather figure themselves out. And they were Good. together, and then they broke up later. Good for Rick. I
0: mean, that can't be easy.
1: No. But Marlo realized that she loves Rick more, so eventually she goes back to him. And other no, things that she tricked Marlo subconsciously using her telepathy, which is not true. It was just her yeah like messing with her head. Her own head.
0: To be fair. To be fair, Moondragon does have a history of doing that. Yes. So I could I could see I mean it's one thing I you know, I, I know I sometimes question my own motivations. When you've done stuff like Moondragon has Done and you have mental powers to back it up, yeah, I could definitely see you questioning your... Mo- like, wait, is this honest, or did I force
2: this?
1: Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's a story point that's been done, where the the person who can control others telepathically, are they doing this because they want to, or are they doing this because I'm controlling them without realizing it? It's a sticky wicket. Yeah,
0: but I will say, considering how Moondragon has been characterized for most of her history, good for her. Because that yeah. is definite growth for her. She's
1: a better person than she
0: once was. Yeah, because we're going to be covering soon a couple issues of Avengers where she does not give a damn and she knows she's doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she does not care. But that's for another episode and I think another guest as well.
1: Oh. Do I hear that, guys? He's firing me. Well, you
0: chose not to do
1: them. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's
0: firing me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, okay, that's it for the Hulk, then, since we really have nothing right. else to say. It was time a fun little the, prompt for the gardener. Time to get to the meat of the sandwich. Yes. So, John, you hang out for a little bit, and I'm going to talk to David about three, four, Thor 314, and then when we're done, you'll be back, and we're going to talk about Thor 317.
1: Okay, I'm just going to go snack on these um, cheese puffs. Yeah, I, have, I bought the whole big jug at Costco.
0: Mm-hmm. Don't eat all of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: back for the 3rd year in a row with our extremely cool speculative anthology of all LGBTQ stories by queer and trans authors. It is called Decoded Pride. It's at decodedpride.com and you can pick up a subscription today for only 14.99 or if you go to any of our social media sites on Instagram or Twitter at bitchesoncomics or if you follow us on Patreon or support us over there on Patreon, we have discount codes already all plugged in for you and you can get it for even cheaper so go check those out but right now you can get it for $14.99 at decodedpride.com and sarah what is decoded what are people going to get you have stories of comic books you have stories of horror stories you have fantasy stories science fiction all of the things you know what speculative fiction is I don't have yeah, to stuff that's you. just even just too hard to define genre bending what's especially cool is that every story that is not a comic has a piece of art that accompanies it we hope you'll come support us and all of the amazing creators we're getting to publish this year we are absolutely ecstatic again join us at decodedpride.com
0: Okay, John will be back in a little bit. But right now, like we said at the beginning of the episode, we have a John David John sandwich. So right now we're at the meat of this episode. And then we'll get back to the bread.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Boy, I'm a vegetarian. Don't want to be the meat. Okay, so we're at the veggie part of the sandwich. That's better. There we go. Works for
0: me, whatever works. Mm. I have no problem with that. And from a couple of weeks ago, David Spothworth is back. How you doing, David? Hey, um. Good to have you around again. Cheers, Al, nice to be back. Yes, good to have you. It's been a while. It has. So, right this time, David is here to talk about Thor 314, in which, well, as it says in the cover, death cry of Drax the Destroyer. Also featuring the mysterious woman called Moondragon. Um, we are going to check up on our favorite crazy space family.
2: Yeah, and and- Drax seems to be wearing a very strange hat.
0: Yes, yes, he it's the height of fashion on, on Antares. <laughs> but yeah, this cover by Keith Pollard has Drax with that weird, almost well, looks like a jellyfish hat, blasting but- Thor while Moondragon is unconscious. And Jarvis is in the back go- looking, just going, oh my God, how much do I have to clean now? Yes.
2: And um, we should point out for uh, any lawyers listening that uh, the jellyfish that Drax is wearing does not look like a starfish in any way. Yes.
0: <laughs> even though it behaves... I didn't even think about that, but you're right. It does behave very similarly. So, quick synopsis, and then we'll be right back. Thor, number 314. Acts of Destruction. Writer, Doug Mensch Layouts, Keith Pollard. Finished art, Dan Green and Pablo Marcos. Colors, George Rousseau. Letters, Janice Chang. Cover art, Keith Pollard, Danny Crespi, and Rick Parker. Editor, Jim Salakrup. Cover dated December 1981, on sale date September 1st 1981, with a cover price of $0.50. Cents. You can find this reprinted in Marvel Masterworks Thor Volume 20 from 2003, Thor Epic Collection Number 11 A Galaxy Lost from 2014, Guardians of the Galaxy Galaxy's Most Wanted One-Shot from 2014, and Guardians of the Galaxy Solo Classic Omnibus from 2015. Don Blake is brooding over having no career again when he gets a call from Shauna, who asks him to come to Chicago to attend a medical seminar. Moondragon is in space, dwelling on her uncertain future as well, and decides to look in on her father, Drax. Drax is in space and encounters a group of creatures and begins to attack them in the hopes of being destroyed himself. Thor goes to Avengers Mansion in the hopes of company, but finds only Jarvis. Just then, Moondragon arrives with Drax, with one of the ailing creatures attached to his head. Drax then comes to and begins attacking everything. Thor uses lightning to remove the creature, who then begs them to kill it. Its despair and a lack of purpose rings familiar to all three of them. Drax and Moondragon decide to return the creature to its home. All right. You know, this is kind of funny. Acts of Destruction. This this actually almost could have been a. uh, would have fit in when we did Acts of Vengeance a couple months ago.
2: That's nice.
0: And this is is kind of a throwback to like the 60s, where could we have like that first first page splash page, which kind of you know is not really part of the story. It's almost like a separate second cover.
2: That's true. Very symbolic. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I guess and I guess a full page splash of uh, Don Blake leaning leaning against his window ledge uh, might not pull in the readers. No,
0: not the Thor ones. Peter Parker looking all depressed, looking out the window would have worked. Oh yeah, I mean that definitely fits into Spider Man. I'm pretty sure I've seen, I'm pretty sure I've read an issue that actually
2: does do that. I'm pretty sure I've read about three dozen that have done that. Yeah,
0: and I would say out of those three dozen you read, probably two dozen of them have it raining.
2: <sighs> I'm sure. <laughs>
0: but yes, Don Blake is kind of, he's bored because he has nothing to do.
2: Yes, his clinic has just been shut down and he's been sacked through uh, sacked because of uh, budget cuts. And probably also the
0: fact that he's probably never around anyway.
2: It's something to something to point out about this run. This this uh, Doug Munch uh, Keith Pollard run is not the most celebrated of uh, Thor runs in history, but it's pretty notable for being probably the only time since the early uh, Lee Kirby days where it actually gave any time and attention to character development of Don Blake. True, true, because we're going to be covering Thor 317 in the next segment of
0: John Wilson, and yeah, there's also quite a bit with Don Blake in there as well. And in fact, indeed, even a bit more so from the 60s, because really it was just kind of like the Clark Kent Superman thing of just, you know, how does Don Blake get out of this one to turn into Thor?
2: Yeah, they gave him him several new jobs. uh, There was was a whole run about it where... don got arrested because uh they they suspected he might have murdered the uh long vanished jane foster
0: oh yeah okay because that's it, right she was gone for a while wasn't she
2: yeah and you know in this run you know the police actually took notice and uh started looking don blake's way it, it's kind of funny like how these characters that we think of as like these long running su- important
0: supporting characters like Uh, Jane Foster or Pepper Potts and yet if you read the actual runs they're gone for a long time like sometimes 15-20 years yeah it's just kind of funny how hindsight kind of works once people get prominence again you just assume they've always had prominence yes but yeah Don's bored and apparently his boredom is enough that we decide to spend almost half the issue without him
2: yes (laughs) I'm going to get a big long recap of uh, Moondragon's history now
0: yeah, she's flying through space because, you know, Earth is too provincial for her.
2: And yeah. recapping her origin and her father's, just to make sure we know who these people are. Yeah. That's an interesting thing about this this issue. I mean, I, I was actually surprised to read that it wasn't uh, Mark Grunewald as uh, editor at this time, because it seems to be sort of putting the pieces together that uh, that Jim Stalin uh, never actually dealt with. Yeah. Uh, uh, Stalin, you know, introduced, you know, and revealed that uh, Moon Dragon was Drax's daughter, and then did precisely nothing with it.
0: Yeah, he doesn't. T- they don't get connected. They, I mean, they don't get together or find out. We find out, but they don't. I think and, Drax does.
2: I, 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 mean, I don't remember sh- that happening, but I could, I, mean, think, I could be wrong. I think. I think when uh, in the at the end of the uh, towards the end of the the Captain Marvel run of. Uh, uh, the Captain Marvel uh, Stalin run. Thanos uh, gives uh, Drax his memories back, and uh, and as part and parcel of that, sort of reveals that uh, Moon Dragon is his daughter.
0: Ah, okay. Because that was oh, I, maybe I missed that. I have to go back and look for look at that to check. Then because I don't remember. Pretty sure. Uh, well, if I get it, hopefully I'll remember to do that, and maybe I'll put a note in right here. I did not remember. Or I'm editing this out, one of the two. <laughs> because I know, like, in the Sarlene stuff, he d- I mean, he does reveal it, but in a very subtle way. Because, I mean, we get the Drax origin in the Captain Marvel
2: issues, and then the Moondragon origin he does in the Daredevil issues. Yes, which is a completely different origin. Yeah. You'll, you'll know, because uh, in the Daredevil version, um, Moondragon was taken to Titan while Thanos was still just a child.
0: Huh. I have to double check that then. Yeah. yeah. But either way, we get their origins. And of course, the fact that Drax, as we saw in the Captain Marvel issues we covered a few episodes ago, Drax blamed Marvel for Thanos' origin, even and though it was not Marvel mm-hmm. who killed him either time. Well, he was the only one around. Yeah. And that's the name he knows.
2: Gave him something I mean, to do.
0: He's like, look, I know you and I know Iron Man and Moondragon. So yes. I'm blaming you because you're the one fighting him yeah. the most.
2: Oh, and here we are in this uh, little in this little page page here where uh, it shows the uh, the Drax history. He says, I've been deprived by Thanos of a normal life of even knowing my daughter.
0: Yeah. So, well, at this point, I mean, at this point, they def- they both knew. Yeah. I just wasn't sure off the top of my head where they found out. But yeah. At least, you know, or at least where Moondragon finds out. I mean, you might be right. I think you might be right about uh, Thanos revealing to Drax. But since I don't remember him saying to her, I don't know what, when Moondragon found mm-hmm. out. I'll have to go back and ch- double check that. Yeah. To find out what she found out. But obviously at this point they both know. And Drax is now bored and basically just wants to be destroyed himself. So a lot of people bored in this issue. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's bored. <laughs> yes. I wonder if that was the impetus for writing this issue. You know, Doug Mintz was very bored. He's like, well, what happens if Thor gets bored? What about everyone else? What if everyone's bored?
2: I don't know. Is it any wonder that this uh, this particular run doesn't get remembered by uh, most, most people? I think most people were bored at the time.
0: Yeah. No, it's also sandwiched in between, like, the whole Roy it's, Thomas thing with the Celestials yeah. and bringing the Eternals, yeah. and then, you know, uh, Simonson's coming up shortly. Yep. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, I like this. I like this run. There's a lot of good stuff in it, but it really is just a, uh, you know, a lot of one or two issue, you know, in inverted quotes, filler stories. They're yeah, good they filler to... stories, but they're filler Still. stories. Yeah. yeah.
0: But this is when Drax finds that group of space jellyfish, and, you know, they're like, uh, "Please don't pry and penetrate our hive. You'll be destroyed." Okay. Yep. Nice <laughs> big grin on his face. And he smashes through, but he can't get all the way through. All his head is all that comes through is his head. <laughs> and so one of them apparently, you know, what? it's also the space jellyfish's part, fault because obviously, from we can see here, they had to protect themselves.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So it's like, you know, hey, don't just do it because you'll be destroyed. But also, you know, what well, at least some of us might have to die. But obviously, Drax does not. Drax didn't even think about that. He just like, great, you're yep. gonna kill me. That
2: works. He's not the brightest spark in the box, is he?
0: No, no, no. The fact that Drax is always pretty dumb in pretty much any incarnation, any medium is pretty uh, spot on. Yeah. He is a big dummy. Yep.
2: When they uh, when they took all his intelligence away for uh, Infinity Gauntlet, I don't think they really lost much.
0: No. No, he just went down a couple points.
2: Yeah. He's like, we're just going to
0: tweak it a little bit. But in trying to find him, Moondragon has him, sends him. So her ship's pretty impressive because, I mean, the, she gets around pretty fast. I mean, That's wherever true. he is in space,
2: she gets to him and then back to Earth pretty fa-
0: pretty fast.
2: Yes. Nobody told Doug Munch that uh, space is big. Very big. Yes.
0: <laughs> he has not read Hitchhiker's Guide yet. No. <laughs> but back to Thor
2: after having a little chat with Iron Man, because at this point they know each other's identities. I checked actually in this this month in the Avengers, uh, we we also see another uh, you know get together of uh, Don and Tony getting together for uh, lunch to uh, go over the problems they were having with uh, Hank Pym.
0: Okay, so it's about not too long after they found out then. Yeah, that sounds about right.
2: Oh, it's quite a while after they found out each other's identities, but... Uh, oh,
0: this is not the initial uh, problems of Hank Pym. This uh, is one of the many problems oh, of Hank
2: Pym. Oh, it, oh yeah, it was, the, uh, it was the one with the infamous slap.
0: Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: but uh, I really liked uh, this, uh, this characterization where, where uh, Don Blake and Tony Stark were shown regularly getting together for lunch. They were sort of the only two of the major Avengers that sort of knew each other's civilian identities at this point.
0: Yeah. In fact, going back to the issue we're going to be covering later, that's actually Tony Stark's in the beginning of that issue three seventeen. They're they were together, and Tony has to leave, but they're at like Cape Canaveral Space Center. He's like, "Oh, hey, I'll set up a tour for you."
2: Yes, there's a good couple of the good couple of issues uh, after this where it's a good, um, you know, Thor Iron Man team up.
0: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I do like that. I do like when some of them are friends in not just their superhero guys, but civilian life. Yeah. And it's a little different here, especially when most of them didn't know, you know, as opposed to now where so many of them know each other's identities. Yes. You know, I mean, right now everyone knows Tony Stark as Iron Man, but back here, he was like one of a handful of people who knew and didn't die at the end of the issue. (laughs) But yes, since Thor's bored, he flies around, he goes, he flies around, decides to go to Avengers Mansion, which is also where Moondragon decides to go to. Because all of a sudden she's like, well, I need help. So let me go to the Avengers, even though, you know, I've got to I'm going to mock them in a little bit as well.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: And Thor's bored. And Jarvis is like, it's yeah. quiet here. Isn't this great? Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think there was an issue of the Avengers coming up where Thor turns up at the mansion and the, you know, Thor and Jarvis go off and watch hockey together.
0: I it, Well, maybe there's more than one, but I know there's an issue I covered with somebody that's probably going to come up later here where he shows up and they're going to watch the Knicks game
2: it's probably that's the
0: one yeah Yeah, which basketball but it's it's also possible as a hockey one too yeah Yeah. but yeah yeah it's yeah it's a fun one um oh it's actually the one with uh avengers 219 that's the one yes of
2: course yeah
0: yeah yeah, that's the that's the fun one he goes to hang out with jarvis and again i like i say it there i like that i like the fact that he's like oh hey let's hang out (laughs) yeah but then all of a sudden coming downstairs is moon dragon with drax which yes. I, I I thought was weird at first, and I realized, oh yeah, she says she parked on the roof because that's what you do with spaceships—you put them on the roof.
2: Oh yes, and of course here's uh, where uh, Moon Dragon says uh, you know, that she's glad to find Thor alone. After all, you are a god, because yes. she's still on that kick where she sort of saw herself as being sort of a goddess of the mind, yeah. and so she was she was a peer of Thor.
0: Yeah, and this puts this this kind of sets up a bit what's going to happen in those Avengers issues. Yeah. But at that point, Drax wakes up and he's pissed off because he tried to kill himself and they stopped him. And he is now going to destroy them, even though he can't see because that thing's covering his eyes. So he starts blasting and we get big old fight scene.
2: Fight, 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 fight until. ah, And then Thor jumps in front of Jarvis to save Jarvis's life.
0: Yes, because Drax is like, you know what? You're harmless, and that means if my life is about meaning, so is yours. So you yes. should die.
2: And of course, if uh, if Thor couldn't uh, couldn't put Drax down with all of his godly might, I'm sure a kick in the back by Moon Dragon would solve it. No problem. Yeah. Well, hey, it works for Batman.
0: Yes. <laughs> Superman can punch this guy out. Wonder Woman can do anything. Green Lantern. I'm gonna throw a boomerang at you. Let's see what happens.
2: That's sorted.
0: Oh, that worked. Yes. Now, wait, where's the part? I, I knew there was here somewhere. Where's the part where Moondragon mocks Thor for caring mm. about the Avengers or something? Oh, yes, that's right. That's right. Back to the part where you said, you know, she considers herself a peer. Where oh. I like That's what he says. I've chosen to dwell on Earth precisely because I believe all mortal life to be just as precious as mine or thine.
2: Yes, oh. yes, I know your foolish beliefs. <laughs> yes, because remember, it was... Uh... When I said uh, um, Thor used to be uh, the chairman of the Avengers until uh, Moondragon came along and and kind of uh, talked him out of it, saying that he was too strong and too powerful for the Avengers, uh, just like she was.
0: Yeah, she is definitely among the most arrogant of characters. Yes. It's one of the reasons she's fun, though. True. Because she does have that and she can slide into the villainy, but it is fun when she does a heroic stuff because she's just so arrogant
2: about it no we john I mean, the last time we saw moon dragon was just a a couple of months prior to this where she uh, where she sort of engineered and uh, a changing of the guard in the avengers uh, where she sort of influenced where she might have influenced a lot of members to leave and uh, other members to come for a tryout and there was a bit of a suspicion that uh, she might have uh, her her bringing uh, Hang Pim back to the team at the wrong time might have been uh, led to his breakdown.
0: Yeah, but she knows better
2: than everybody. Yes.
0: Even when she's proven wrong time and time and time again. And time. Yes. What's that that quote? I think it's from Socrates or something. It's like, I know I know I know I know I'm smart or something like that because I know I know nothing. Oh, yes. Something. I mean, I I know I'm butchering it, but. Mm
2: -hmm. Something like that, yes.
0: Yeah, and obviously no, Moon no, Dragon no. is the opposite. I know it's... I'm smart because I know
2: everything. No, everything so. apart apart from how to be humble. Yeah, yeah, she should remember why she wasn't chosen to be Celestial Madonna. Well, because they were foolish. Yes. <laughs> it's
0: their fault, not mine. Yes. But they are able to but Thor with using the lightning is able to get that not Starro creature off Drax's head. And I like that. Basically, Drax wakes up without the thing controlling him, and is basically saying the exact same thing he said with the creature on him.
2: <laughs> yes. Yeah. So when you said earlier about it, you know, Drax waking up pissed off because uh, because the the creature was on his head and whatever. Basically, Drax wakes up pissed off. Whatever happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That basically is how it happened. That's he's a very angry. Don't wake him up because he's angry. Just let him sleep. Yes. Yeah, the creature is also very upset because it's separated from its hive and it's wishes that it has nothing else. It can't do anything with its life now. It's it, basically it's scared. It's alone. And it's just like, let me go. And we actually get a little sympathy from, well, obviously from Thor. That's not strange. But
2: yes. from Drax and Moondragon as they go yes. to return it back to its uh, back to its home. Yeah, it's kind of a turnabout. But, uh, well, at least they're not bored anymore. They've got something to do. Exactly. It's something to do together. Yes. And, you know, Moondragon can always retcon it in
0: her mind as, well, gods can be benevolent. Of course.
2: Yeah, so, But it's
0: are just having emotions and not liking to admit yeah. it.
2: So Moondragon and, and Drax go off as father and daughter and uh, uh, reunited and we know that's all going to go well.
0: Oh, yeah. It's going to go so good.
2: Such a happy family.
0: And we are left with Thor watching Jarvis try and sweep up the rubble.
2: (laughs) Uh, While Thor just stands back and watches. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Sir, could you just, like, you know, I don't know, lift this two-tongued piece of rubble, please? It's a little heavier for me.
2: Please, just help. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Open up some sort of space portal with Mjolnir and uh, suck some of the debris into it.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go call damage control. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And that is it for Thor 314.
0: Now, anything else about this you want to talk about or anything else that pops up to you?
2: Well, the one, again, this issue this issue is, an, uh, is one that um, I remember because it was around the time when I actually started reading uh, American comics on a regular basis. Because around this time, late 1981... Um, my local uh, my local shop started getting getting the in each month on a on a fairly regular and reliable basis. And so it was around this time. In fact, it was actually the issue just before this was when I started buying. Right, I'm going to buy American comics now you know, exclusively. Ah, and okay, stock. that's so three this, prints. Yeah, so this is uh, this is where my real uh, comic collection began. All right, that sounds like we finished this issue up. So, David, mm-hmm.
0: before you go, anything you want to either I don't know, lesson message you want to give people? Anything you want to tell them about you're enjoying? You want people to check out?
2: Well, I guess the favorite comic that I want people to uh, to start reading is if if you can get it get it is uh, the new revival of uh, the old sports comic Roy of the Rovers. It's an old series that ran from the 50s through to the 90s that's been uh, rebooted a couple of years ago and it's coming out as a series of novels and graphic novels at the moment. Uh, sports comics are uh, comics that uh, are a long tradition in Britain, uh, but I guess they've they never really uh, caught on over uh, your side, but they're well worth a, well worth a read. I think I remember we've talked about that once on not here, but on the Legion
0: cast. We talked about that for a little bit, actually.
2: I think Is I it, remember mentioning that. Yeah. because I remember, that does sound familiar. Yeah. Well,
0: be you brought it up, but either way, probably <laughs> was. Yes. All right. Well, yeah, people give it. A, I mean, if anyone wants something different, I mean, why not? Yep. You know, it's yeah, not a it's genre you see. It's true. It's not a genre you see a lot here.
2: No, there's a, uh, you see a lot of sports-related uh, uh, comic strips over, over here over the years. Uh, I was just reading one the other day uh, in the Tiger anthology in the mid seventies. It was a strip called uh, Rod and Line, set in the uh, cutthroat and action-packed world of angling. Oh, excitement! It is.
0: <laughs> well, to be fair, you can make you know, if you're a good enough storyteller. You can make anything exciting. This is true. All right, so people, you got something to check out. So thank you again, Dave, for enjoy- for joining us here. Really do appreciate it. My pleasure. And I'm sure we'll at least talk to you again through feedback at the very least.
2: Look forward to it.
0: All right. All you
2: right. Take care. And you, mate. All right. Bye. 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 Hey,
4: everybody. Clinton Robinson here. I recently attempted to sneak into the Longbox Crusade headquarters basement to watch some of the Albrick Brothers action movies while the crew was out at the Saturday Matinee Theater. Too bad I had a little mishap and got stuck down here, with no movies to boot. However, there are pieces of Pat's old podcasting equipment and excellent Wi-Fi service, so I decided to pass the time watching online fan films and talking about them. What, you don't know what a fan film is? Well, there are these non-theatrical movies that people post online of already established characters and settings. Hey, hey, hey now. Just wait and see. Save all judgment for what happens when you listen to Fan Film Fridays, a new podcast found on the Longbox Crusade podcast
0: feed. And we are back with one more issue. We have Thor number three seventeen and like we promised in the beginning of the episode, this is a John David John sandwich. So John's back here to talk Thor 317 with us.
1: It's weird being the bottom part of the bun now. Like I was all fresh and 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 puffy at the top part of the bun, but I'm just like sitting underneath the burger and the juices. I'm slightly soggy. And you're kind of flattened out. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. I'm here to talk about Thor and Man Beast and Man Thing and Beast Thing.
0: Yes. All the things and all the beasts and all the men.
1: Right. Couldn't put Thor's armor down together again. So yeah, Thor
0: 317, Chaos at Canaveral. This is one of the rare comics. I mean, if you're not reading Man-Thing, this is one of the rare comics that takes place in our state.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, Mike and I just did a recording recently uh, that takes place. At, you know, the Cape Canaveral is now the space force center. Really? It got renamed after we created that branch of the military.
2: Huh. So,
1: uh, when we did captain Marvel's first appearance and he's working at the Cape, um, uh, it was just like, he's working for space force now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah.
0: I, I, in my head, by the
1: way, it's said like space ghost. Uh, okay i hear it more like the space balls theme song space force see i have space force yeah yeah i think it's like an anime one of them is the opening theme way of saying it and one of them is the closing theme way of saying it because yes. they always have different songs
0: yes i like that that works that works tell you what since you're being the bottom bun this time i'll be the closing song for it
1: okay okay fair is fair it's the problem with having tomatoes on sandwiches is the juice is just soaked through the bread. If you put tomatoes on a sandwich and you eat that sandwich five hours later, your sandwich is now on mush, not bread.
0: No, that is true. That's true. Actually, when I take sandwiches to work now, what I do is I take stuff off and I put them like, separately in a Tupperware.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I took a burger work recently and I, I built the burger in a Tupperware and then had the bread <laughs> in a baggie on top. I've done that. <laughs>
0: Well, because, you know, you're at work. You don't have an oven usually. It's like you have a microwave at best.
1: Right, right. And I've, I've, I have I, I've know I, this is going to sound strange, but I've never been a real picky about having my food reheated. So I'll eat the burger cold. But um, but yeah, I don't want the juices of the stuff in it to soak my, my bread and make it mushy. But none of this is talking about Adam Warlock.
0: No. Although I will bet you anything the man beast is very picky about his stuff and probably would like... Would not have the burger unless he could actually toast the bun in the oven separately.
1: Well, also, he's going to be like in the um, in the restaurant, making everybody hate each other even more than usual because he's the hate monger man beast. Yeah.
0: And he's still sending his food back twice, if not three times. He's that guy. He's that guy. I I knew I could find a way to segue into it somehow. All right. So, yes, chaos at Canaveral. One second. Probably people probably want to know what's going on here. So let's drop in a synopsis for them. Thor number 317. Chaos at Canaveral. Writer, Doug Mensch. Layouts, Keith Pollard. Finished art, Brett Breeding. Chick Stone, Pablo Marcos, and Joe Rubenstein. Colors, George Rousseau. Letters, Diana Albers. Cover art, Keith Pollard and Janice Chang. Editor, Jim Salakrup, Cover dated, March 1982. On sale date December 1st, 1981, with a cover price of $0.60. You can find this issue reprinted in Thor Epic Collection Volume 11, A Kingdom Lost from 2014. Don Blake is touring the Florida launch site Cape Canaveral with Diane Lamar, who is trained to be an astronaut on one of the shuttles, when it's attacked by the Man Beast. The Man Beast wants to get back to counter-Earth and destroy it. Fighting aboard the launching shuttle, Thor defeats the Man Beast and leaves him in space. All right, you're all caught up now. Great. I have to say, I do like the beginning of this. I do. I mentioned this in one of the other episodes when I was talking about uh, Avengers, and I it was like about like uh, when Jarvis was shoveling and Thor came by and helped him with the you know with the hammer, and Jarvis was like I was about to go watch the Knicks game. Would you like to join me? He's like, yes, I would. And then of course the shenanigans happened because there's always shenanigans.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: like I was kind of saying, like I like that idea that like you know. I like when they hang out. Like, I like the idea, I said in that time also, of, like, the Nick Fury poker game that always has, like, Wolverine or Carol Danvers or, you know, the thing hanging out playing poker. Right. (laughs) You know, I like this thing. So I like this. It's like Thor and Iron Man are just kind of hanging out here together for a few minutes.
1: I I was actually taken by the, uh, the young lady that Don Blake talks to a lot. And I was wondering if she actually sticks around in the comic for a while. I've read through this era once, a handful of years ago.
0: I'm guessing you don't really remember her.
1: I don't. But that doesn't mean that she's not around for a handful of issues. But if she is, it's only for a handful of issues. Yeah, yeah. It can't be that long. We're not super far from... um, Simonson. Simonson. Yeah. This is 1982, and he comes on in the mid-'80s, early-'80s. Yeah, he's 337
0: is the first issue.
1: Okay. Okay. So, so 20, twenty
0: issues. Away. So most, she's here for most for fifteen issues, maybe, probably less. I, you know, I, but like I said, I like that. I like that Iron Man's like stick around, have it to, like you, you seem interested enough. Don Blake will probably be more interested. Take the tour, hang out, have fun, man. Like I like that.
1: I do. I like it. Um, I and like then, the Man Beast reference to his past and how he used to be called the Super Beast. Yes, that was the first appearance. Because whenever I, whenever we covered this, um, in. Thor, his first appearance over on make ours marvel i was actually surprised not to see the word man beast anywhere no he's just super beast and super as in evil he is just like you know incarnation of evil wolf because wolves are inherently evil i yes. don't know um or if this just this particular wolf had just had a really bad genetically altered life
0: that's yeah it could go either way but yeah wolves are traditionally thought of as evil i mean look at little lord Riding hood
1: Dark Shadows uses Wolf Howls for Evil Presence a lot.
0: Whether wolves are inherently evil or just he was an evil wolf, especially this artist. Wait, who's drawing this again? Is this Keith Pollard, I think? Yeah, Keith Pollard.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: He, more than anyone else, draws a man beast like a dog in the fact that, like, half the time, that tongue is hanging out of his mouth. (laughs) (laughs) I I love that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great, because... A lot of times his face is just generically furry with ears on top. Yeah. But this really does look like an anthropomorphized wolf head, canine head.
0: It reminds me of my dogs. Like, he's sitting there, like, his sleeping, like, that mouth mouth's open, that tongue's just hanging out. Whatever. <laughs> now, Man Beast, I'm sorry, Man Thing is done fine in here. I'm very amused, though. Like, the Man Thing's, like, I guess I'm, you know, it's impossible. Of course, it always has random impulses that, you know, move the plot along. That's Mm -hmm. how it works. But I like how he drags him from that, like, crashed ship and then just walks down the bottom of the swamp, dragging him behind. I'm like, there's a good chance he was fine before he grabbed him. By the time he pulled him out of the swamp, he was drowned. (laughs) Because he's walking underneath. He's walking on the bottom of the the pond until he gets to the edge. Right. So he's just dragging this body, water going in his mouth. But the best is, uh, so jumping jumping ahead, yeah, the next page. When the manpiece wakes up, he is so conceited my my hate is so wonderful i must have gotten here on my own
1: right <laughs> no you were saved remember remember the whole i built that controversy and how one person is trying to say voluntarily know it and the replies are no i did this on my own and i the the, the man beast is definitely the anti i built that or the the person who says I built that. Oh yeah, the Man
0: Beast is definitely I did everything. You weren't even here. I still did it. Right.
1: I like the origin in this mainly because uh you know the, the origin flashback for Man Beast, mainly because it turned he gets to turn back into a puppy. Yes. And you have you have Adam Warlock like putting his laying on his magic Jesus hands on the puppy's head. Yes.
0: Yeah, he even looks like a puppy, he does look like more like a puppy than a wolf there. Mm-hmm. In that panel. But yeah, we get the one page flashback. I, I I love how they had to do this. It's like, and because I hate you all, I will tell you my origins. like, oh, God, he's bringing out the slides. Right.
1: Not to go on to my 15th tangent, but, uh, um, you know, the ultra humanite in D.C., right? Uh-huh. So, you know, whenever he appears in All-Star Squadron or, or a you know, JSA story, they always have to do the, the flashback, how he used to be uh Dolores and he oh he used to be the, the 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 bald scientist who died yeah. brain was put in Dolores and now he's in this ape but at some point in the late 70s early 80s there was a superman family story where he was also put into a giant wasp <laughs> and so so now you know where i am in my reading late 1984 whenever ultra humanite shows up at the beginning of infinity incorporated and he gives his backstory he's like mad scientist beautiful actress giant wasp and now i'm in an ape <laughs> wait 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 wait! hold on you were to what <laughs> we skip over that part it was in the 50s the world was weird in the 50s
0: oh why didn't they have him in the wasp form in the uh, cartoon just league unlimited oh true Although he was still great in that,
1: I don't know if uh, I don't know if the wasp form exists in modern continuity since it was an Earth two thing and Earth two got all shaken up. I don't know. Of course, yeah. he is an Earth two character, so maybe his entire history could still be intact.
0: Yeah, God knows. Eh, maybe Doctor Manhattan put it back in. He was like, "This is weird. I want to see what happens."
1: Right. Giant wasp, a. Eh?
0: But anyway, back to Thor. So, so yeah, the man beast basically wants to get back to Counter Earth and apparently this random shuttle that's going to be sending up a satellite is set up for living beings to be in it. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not, because she, to be fair, she's wearing her spacesuit the whole time, and the man-beast, he's also fighting Thor on the outside of the ship, so maybe he doesn't
1: need to breathe? He has a giant nose. I feel like he should have to breathe, but that doesn't always necessarily correlate. Yeah, I don't know. He's on the mm-hmm. outside of this thing. So does man th- so Man-Thing. I don't think he needs to breathe. Does Man-Thing have a nose? I oh, thought he just that, had like a tentacle down his face.
0: I, I assume that one... I, I mean, maybe I'm anthropomorphizing it, but I kind of assume that's his, That's like a nose.
1: Hmm. You know, octopuses have their genitals on the end of one of their tentacles.
0: Oh, I assume the things on the side were the genic- genitals.
1: Oh, okay. Why do you have two? To, to, to grab you better? Um... Anyways, so <laughs> I don't have a whole lot to say on the Thor fight, except, except, you know how Thor's hammer, right? Can't be lifted. Yes. It Either it's super duper heavy, or there's an enchantment on it, depending upon which part of continuity you're in. So no one can lift it, except a burst of air. Because they open up the hatch, and air flies out, and this super ultra heavy hammer... That was definitely not moving from the ground gets blown out the hatch by the burst of air.
0: Yeah, I, I have to assume at this point this is the enchantment. So that does could kind of fit. It's like no person can move it. Random events can move it, but no person.
1: Maybe, maybe. That's
0: Generally, all like it,
1: like heavy crates and stuff don't fly out the door when it like whenever they open the. But maybe. In any case, we got a 60-second countdown that Thor was able to beat, which in the era of Thor that we're covering over on Makers Marvel, the 60-second countdown just isn't a thing, because Thor is only occasionally becoming Don Blake, and they rarely use that for drama these days. Yeah,
0: which actually made me think of you guys in the part where he's t- where they're t- early on in the issue where they're talking, mm-hmm. and he's talking about how he li- doesn't have a job either. I'm like, yeah, that's because you always go away for six months at a time.
1: Yeah, you go out into space and leave everything behind they will they will fire you
0: yeah (laughs) or your customer your patients just stop going
1: yeah i guess by fire you i mean you no longer have access to your office space because you didn't pay your bills and they they closed your lease
0: yeah (laughs) So it's like yeah i don't have i don't have a job either because i kind of randomly
1: vanish Mm -hmm. because i'm not real this is 1982, actually, end of 81, and they have a female astronaut. And a big deal is rightfully made about her being a female astronaut. Because at this point in time, I don't think we'd had one yet. Wasn't the school teacher on the Challenger going to be the first female astronaut? Maybe. I'm going to say first female astronaut. 83. Uh, Sally Ride. Yes. Uh, actually, the first woman in space was in Russia. Russian well, cosmonaut Valentina Tereshkova.
0: Which I have to, uh, yeah, in 63. So I have, by the way, yeah, I just found that too. So I have to wonder also, real quick, by the way, was a negative woman, based on her a bit? Because isn't her name Valentina?
1: Oh. <sighs> oh, that's a cool connection. And she is Russian. Yeah, she is. Very Russian.
0: So I have to wonder if that's, yeah. But yeah, this was before at least America had a
1: female astronaut right and since but we're like, americans we're the only ones who matter but yeah yeah um <laughs> and, well at least the only one that
0: like you know first one at nasa at least but
1: right. yeah
0: so of course she was being you know and that's annoying i've been in that position too it's like you're first hired you're last hired first fired mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but hey good you know happy ending to the story they're like they were impressed enough. It's like we want that person right it's like they ju- they went on this ra- they went after the werewolf monster that stole the spaceship and came back down. Although I don't know how successful a launch this was. Still, I mean, the concern also was how you know him ruining the launch and therefore that would you know push them back out and everything and cause budget problems and all that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They're ripping up this ship. This ship. I don't know how successful it was. Yeah. They kind of glance over that at the end.
1: Not to not to dwell on the point for too long, but just to just to fill in the the appropriate facts. Um, at, in 1981, 82, when this was done, there would still only been one woman in space. Valentina Tereshkova was in 1963. So it had been almost 20 years. Um, a few months after this comic came out, Svetlana Savitskaya would go up. But Sally Ride was already employed and already doing her thing, getting ready to be the first American female astronaut. So... This character might have been—I would say, Mike because I have no idea—but might have been inspired by her work. Anyways, Very um,
0: but yeah. So this ends up the man beast flying off into space. So I'm sure we'll find him again in another random issue, like we did here, like we have recently.
1: Yeah, yeah. He'll 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 show up occasionally. Your your appearance list is not chronicling man beast appearances; it's chronicling warlock and Thanos appearances, right?
0: Exactly, but it makes sense that man beast would would be. Those appearances, because right. he's going to always, of course, do his recap of his origin, and it's going to have Warlock.
1: And I just looked him up, and sure enough, his next appearance is in Warlock in the Infinity Watch. Oh wow! So, so going to be a little
0: while before he shows up again. Yep,
1: yeah, he's off the table until after the war. Well, after the after the Gauntlet, before the war. Wait, Infinity Watch is after the war, isn't it? Yes, it's formed because of, no, no, it, it's before. It's after Gauntlet. Okay, that's right because it has several issues crossing over with the war
0: yeah yeah you have you have several issues and then it goes into the war and then you have issues and then it's crossover with uh crusade
1: and the second warlock series yep
0: yeah and then you have a few issues and then it's the blood and thunder i think it's the crossover it's thor right. warlock and uh, yeah it's what right. thor silver surfer warlock and warlock and warlock chronicles that was the title and warlock mm-hmm. and the infinity watch
1: that's where my 90s reading has stalled out i have uh Put my 90s reading project on hiatus while focusing on Superman and 60s Marvel. Um, but whenever I get back to it, I'm in the middle of that Blood and Thunder crossover. Yeah,
0: we'll, we'll get there eventually. But anyway, so yeah, that was Thor 317. Nothing, ex- I mean, it's not a bad issue. No. But nothing exciting in the f- regard of what we're doing. It's just another man-beast appearance of him just, it's, it's just amusing. He's, like, he's pissed off now. Spider-Man beat him up. He got beat up by Razorback. He's like,
1: that's it. I'm going home. Screw you guys. Just no one told him. There is no home. There is no home. Yeah, yeah. there's a little bit of dramatic irony in this because the narrator reminds the reader, by the way, everything Man Beast is trying to do is futile because Counter-Earth isn't actually there anymore, in case you forgot. I almost, I almost think that the drama of this story would be more effective if we hadn't had that if we had just all, like, you know thought he was trying to get someplace he should and couldn't get there. But I also like the idea that he's trying to do all this stuff that's futile. So I don't know which would be the better way they played out. But either way... You
0: know they would have got letters.
1: Oh, you're right. He's trying to get somewhere that's not even there anymore. Yeah, but he doesn't know that, people. Yeah, to which the appropriate response is, yeah, have you ever tried to go somewhere that ended up not being there? you ever go to a store after it's closed? Anyways. um, All right, so Thor... That's it for
0: Thor. Well, thanks to that mini-episode I did, we're actually only now going to be doing feedback for episode 153. So basically going forward, we're going to be only doing the feedback for the previous episode instead of a couple episodes behind. So that's pretty awesome. So let's get on with it. Feedback for episode 153, Intergalactic U-Haul, with guests John M. Wilson and on Facebook, the post about the episode was liked and shared by Neil Vig, Joe Sedano, and Mirko Mackey. On Twitter, we get likes and retweets from Outlaw Rob 58 Streaming Channel 2022, Metahuman Hunter 58 Streaming Addict 2022, Dear Watchers, A Comics Omniverse Podcast, David Finn, Viet Nguyen, Capes and Lunatics, Alan Sharp, Ed Moore, Chris Leiden, Into the Night, Trapped in a World. JohnReadsComics.com, Karen Walker, Bruce Robinson, Dave's Comic Heroes Blog, and Last Sons of Krypton. Now remember, this show is not the only place you can hear me on a regular basis. I am also on the LEGION PODcast. That show is all about the DC Comics sci-fi series from the late 80s, early 90s, Legion. That's L-E-G-I-O-N, the acronym one, not Legion of Superheroes. And you can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed. Links are in the show notes. All right, you want to hear your name said here, or you have thoughts about the episode that you want to share with me? Well, go on Twitter at Pod. Look for our Tumblr page: ResurrectionsAdamMorlock.tumblr.com. Find us on Facebook and like the page there. Just type in Adam Morlock or Thanos in the Facebook Facebook search bar, and it'll pop up. And you can send an email: ResurrectionsPodcast at yahoo.com. Speaking of emails. We have two emails to read about this episode from one of our co-hosts of this current episode, David Spofforth. So, let's see what David has to say about the Marvel 2-in-1 stories. The first email, he writes, Hi, Al. I remember this Her Trilogy from way back. The fun thing about it for me was that it was answering questions I had never asked. I read this long before I read most of the earlier Warlock series. So, instead of being surprised to see Sphinx here, my shock was seeing him do the narration in that Starlin issue. I was thinking, hey, that's the Space Movers guy. <laughs> Starhawk doing the body swap was another shocker. I knew Starhawk from his first appearance in The Defenders, but I never read the Marvel Presents follow-up. At least I knew who Paragon was, so that's something. The scroll saucer in this story is a weird one. It's an old continuity cock The scroll craft used in Fantastic Four number 2 wasn't a saucer. It was a disguised water tower that was no more than a shuttlecraft. The saucer here, and its other appearances in Fantastic Four 92 and ROM 23, was the one they took from Kurgo of Planet X in Fantastic Four 7, and correctly referred to as such when it was also shown in Fantastic Four 11. The Marvel 1960s legacy handbook rationalizes the era by suggesting Kurgo attained it from the Skrulls. I totally get what you were saying about the High Evolutionary's love of Counter-Earth being inconsistent with his can-I-destroy-it-now attitude in the Warlock stories. But the last time I'd seen the High Evolutionary before this story was when he went toe to toe with Galactus to save that world. And you've got to figure his heart must have softened somewhat if you're going to go up against the big G over it. One thing I didn't quite get is how come her gave up so easily at the end. Her stated purpose was to find Adam and mate with him to create the perfect race. So why didn't she? Sure, she may have resurrected Adam's body with no mind or soul, but the body was alive. Couldn't she have harvested a little genetic material to do the job? Having a dead husband didn't stop Elysius from having Marvell's kids. Maybe she was conservative and didn't do single-parent families. Cheers, David. All right, David, some good points. So first of all, I didn't realize about the scrawl saucer, so that's cool to know. And yeah, having Spinkor show up again is a weird thing. No matter which order you beat him in, you really don't expect that. Um, and about her, yeah, maybe, I guess maybe she didn't think about it. I mean, honestly, her was created and then went out on her own. So maybe it just wasn't something she thought about, unlike Elysius, where that was you know, an option she knew about because of the technology that existed on Titan where she lived. Since it wasn't in her experience, it wasn't something she thought about. That's my rationale about it. And I guess you're right about the High Evolutionary. I forgot about that Fantastic Four story. I guess even if he didn't really care about counter-earth and his people, because he fought for it, he at least felt like it was his, not the best reason to want to rescue a world. And maybe that could go with why he, the rescue ended like it did, where he didn't really rescue the world. He just let the beyonders keep it. So still kind of jerky though. Anyway, David had another email said, I just read something today that's relevant to the issues discussed. You were talking about Starhawk going into the river. The question being, why should he worry about drowning if he can fly through space? Well, I finally got around to reading the Peter David Captain Marvel run, in issue two as Janus nearly drowned in a lake, and he said his powers automatically protect him when there's no oxygen. But that doesn't work in water, because there's plenty of oxygen in water. He just can't breathe it. That might have nothing to do with Starhawk, but it sounds as good an explanation as any. Cheers, David. Oh, David, you know what? That works for me for now. It's been a long time since I read the 90s Guardian series, which is where the most of my Starhawk reading was. So, unless anything in there contradicts it, sure, let's go with that. All right, David, so thank so again, thank you to David for sending those emails in. That is awesome. Anyone else wants to be like David? Remember, Resurrection's podcast at yahoo.com. Now, finally, this show is part of the Collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances. And you are going to hear a promo for one of those Collective shows
1: right now. From the time of his hatching, he was different a potentially brilliant scholar who dreaded the structured environment of school. He educated himself in the streets, taking whatever work was available, formulating his philosophy of self from what he had learned of the world about him. And then the cosmic axis shifted, and that world changed. Suddenly, he was stranded
4: in a universe he could not fathom. Without warning, he became a strange fowl in an even stranger
1: land. Welcome to the one, and for some reason only, podcast about Marvel Comics' greatest talking duck, Howard the Duck, trapped in a world he never made, hosted by myself, Noel,
4: who's loved Howard since he was a kid. And me, Russell, who's not new to comics, but is new to Howard. We go through a couple issues from Howard's Marvel comic book history, with some creator backgrounds, storied histories, and the weird world of 1970s comic books, to today's... Get ducked up in a world he never made.
0: Trapped in a World, the Howard the Duck podcast.
2: Wow! Wow.
1: Proud members of the collective.
0: Okay, so that's it for this time. I want to thank again my guests, John and David Spothor for being here. Now, David, before he left, already did his plug. So, John, it's your turn. Where can people find you?
1: Um, Well, I am on the internet, as are many people. So if you just look real hard, there I am.
0: (laughs) That's it. We're
1: done. Bye. So it might be known to some people that I have read a lot of Superman comics. Um, I have read every Superman comic book from the pre-crisis era, and I'm working on post-crisis. But when I got to the Crisis on Infinite Earths storyline, I decided to podcast about it. So right now, pretty much every week on Mondays, you will find an episode of Superman in Crisis, which is where I talk about uh, issues of Crisis on Infinite Earths and all of these Superman adventures that were published alongside them and basically whenever an episode comes out I'm talking about the comics that were published on that day, but in 1985-1986. So you can find that on any good podcatcher, search Superman in Crisis. You can also find it over on my website, johnreadscomics.com which has links to all of my past podcasting endeavors as well, such as Make Ours Marvel, Amazing Spider-Man Classics, Golden Age Superman, and all that stuff. I'm also on Twitter at John Comics, and there's no H in John all right
0: links will be in the show notes for everything so go scroll down click and listen and like I said that's it for this time next time we are going to have who's supposed to be on here Ooh, that's right yeah so next comes next episode is gonna be a little sad one I mean Brian's gonna be back so that's good but we are going to be talking about a little story called the death of Captain Marvel wait he dies no spoilers I'm not gonna tell you what happens in it But
1: that's the title. No, I should have said, wait, she dies.
0: (laughs) One of them does. One of them does. All right, so that's next time, folks. And John, we'll be back in a few episodes. Don't worry. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free intro music.com and DJ Puzzle at peaceloveproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. So instead of being surprised So instead of being surprised to see sphinx... So instead of being surprised to see sphinx...